0: Shelley Burr, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you, it's great to be here. Now, Shelley grew up on Newcastle's beaches and her grandparents' property in Glen Rowan and on the road between the two. When not writing, Shelley is working to establish a small permaculture farm and is studying agriculture at the University of New England with a focus on soil science. She is an alumni of the ACT Writers Hard Copy Programme and a Varuna Fellow. Her debut novel, Wake, was a top five bestseller. I mean, it was so popular. We can talk about that later. It won the CWA Debut Dagger Award, was shortlisted for the Indie Book Awards, and uh, the Kill Your Darlings Unpublished Manuscript Award, and the list goes on and on. Shelley also won the Arbyas 2023 Matt Richel award for the new writer of the year for wake. Oh my goodness. I mean, you know that that doesn't happen that regularly.
2: It's been absolutely incredible. Like yeah, I'm so conscious that um I've had a singular experience and it's just been incredible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, and clearly you can write. Um so <laughs> so that, <laughs> helps. It that help. helps. It does help. It does help. Now, Newcastle is one of my favorite areas ever. Tell me about growing up in Newcastle. I mean, do you know the beaches, the suburbs? I mean, it really sometimes I think is Australia's secret.
2: It is. It is so beautiful. I was really lucky enough to be back there earlier this year for the Newcastle Writers' Festival. And that was really special getting to go home um, to a writers' festival that I'd aspirationally attended growing up. Like that was incredible. But it's funny as well because I've been away from Newcastle for a really long time and it is so dramatically different now. They made some really major changes to the downtown. They pulled out the old really industrial rail lines. And now it's just this beautiful space of they've actually put an incredible bookshop into what used to be the main railway station near the beach. And it's just this big park now. And you can walk along the old rail lines and see out to the ocean. It really is very different from the place where I grew up, which is a funny feeling going back to.
0: Mm, A transformation. Because what happened, I think that you know, all those big mining companies had to make a contribution when they started pulling out. Is that right?
2: Um, look, I'm not an expert, but I do know that there was a really conscious, deliberate effort on the part of Newcastle to open itself up to the arts community as mm-hmm. a sort of a, a fresh start. And you can really see the way that that strategy is paid off in the downtown. Mm-hmm. It's just so vibrant and creative and active in a way that's mm-hmm really beautiful to see. Yeah, you did write actually, because one time I, I was there and this is going
0: back a few years and what used to be a department store back when was now just like little hubs of artists working in. Mm. Yeah. And that I remember thinking, this is super cool. This is nice. Okay. So you were just saying that you were invited back to the Newcastle Writers Festival, which, you know, is a wonderful festival. Amazing. But tell me about growing up. Tell me about you know, the aspiration to write, the influence, what was it around you that made you think you might be a writer?
2: So ever since I was like, I was, when I was really little, I was always that kid with a notebook. So like almost from the time that I figured out that I could just sit myself down and write a story if I wanted to, I didn't have to be assigned it by a teacher. I could just do it for fun. And as soon as that clicked for me, like it was always an obsession. Um, I was always that kid scribbling away, making up stories. So I don't ever remember a time where I decided that this was something I wanted to do. It's just always been part of um, what I've done for myself, Um, a hobby, a way of like getting away and putting work aside, putting everything else aside and just having something for me. Mm -hmm. Were you a reader? Oh, massive reader. Yeah. Mm Yeah and um i had really bookish friends as well like my family always used to laugh that i would have a friend over and the two of us would just sit on opposite sides of the lounge with a book and just silently read together for an hour and those were amazing times like i miss that yeah so books are just they've always been a really big part of my life and they're so important and you know i've got I've got a family of my own now and it's really lovely to see my daughter start to discover stories and read for herself and that be something that we can share. It's amazing.
0: Okay. So growing up in Newcastle, you're a passionate reader, you're writing. Is it that, were there particular writers that had an influence on you or, you know, what was your career path then to writing, like was it was it clear? Was it laid out? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. This is how I'm going to get there.
2: Uh, I took an extremely roundabout path to writing as a career because I always thought of it as something that would be a hobby. Like um, I was always a very big writer in high school. I took the you know the extension three English. I'm not sure if it's still structured the way the same way, but back when I was in high school in New South Wales, we would produce a major work of creative writing over the course of a year. And um, I did that and did quite well in it. But when it was time to move on to university, I really wanted to to be in a space that was, you know, I've got a, a variety of interests. And so I was really looking more at becoming a lawyer or those sorts of careers, not necessarily something in the creative space. So my undergraduate degree was actually in commerce and I worked as an accountant for many years. Um, I went, (laughs) yeah, you just made a face, which is really common. It's really funny as a writer who was an accountant because other writers will often reach for that as a metaphor of the worst possible job they can imagine. Yeah. Of, at least outside of it, outside
0: of being a dentist. yeah <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they're my two They're my two fears.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I will just say that it actually is a pretty good job to balance with writing. So I went into government, um, I uh, worked in various government roles um, in my early career, gradually found my way to environmental policy, which was what I was doing when things really started to heat up with wake. And so I never really saw myself as someone who was moving towards being an author professionally, just someone who had a job that I really loved and also had this hobby that I really loved. And they balanced really nicely. Like I would use one part of my brain during the day. I'd work with numbers. I'd work with problem solving, and then I could come home, put that aside. um, And then after all of the family stuff was done and my daughter had gone to bed and the house was quiet, I would set aside an hour to be mine to just dive into the world of writing and creativity So when I first started to write Wake, that was the first time in a long time that it really started to feel like a bit more than a hobby. Like maybe I was onto something special here. I could feel it, that whatever I was doing here was a little bit more polished, a little bit more, it had more legs than anything that I'd done before. And so I, um, I heard about the ACT center, the ACT writer center, it's now called Marion. Um, They used to run a beautiful program called Hard Copy, which was like a year long manuscript development um, for writers. And so I applied for that and got in. And that was a really great opportunity to really work on my skills in self-editing. And that was the first time that anybody spoke to me like Writing was something that I might do professionally. Like that was really the first time that that mindset shift happened, that maybe this was something I was heading towards publication and I would have to know about things like agents and marketing and how books get into bookshops and libraries. And it's really unfortunate, you know, it's just arts funding being what it is. They don't run that program anymore and it was a really great loss because there's very few programs of that nature out there. And that was a really wonderful opportunity that was a real turning point for me.
0: I want to ask you, so you're saying to me that you are writing for one hour a day, right? Well, you were writing. I was at the time. Yeah. And did you finish Wake, your first book, that we have mentioned in our conversation, which, you know, sold its socks off, if you like. (laughs) Did you finish Wake in that kind of style in, in writing one hour a day. Is that how that book came to be, all of it? Or did you at some point stop working and write
2: more? For Wake, I was always working. So that one hour a day, it's honestly, it sounds like such a small amount, but when you know that you only have one hour a day, Mm. it makes it easier to just put your butt in the chair and your hands on the keyboard and make the best use of that hour that you can. So I actually found it really motivating to not have a lot of time that I could devote to it. I did also have um, I would work for the whole day on a Sunday, so my husband and I we had an understanding that throughout the week he would have his time to pursue his projects and hobbies, and I would be primary parent. And then on Sundays, he and our daughter, you know, they'd go out to the park, they'd go see a movie, something like that, and I would have a quiet house. Sometimes I would go to the um, the National Library which was just a beautiful space to mm. work. So, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't strictly just an hour a day, but mm-hmm. certainly restriction of time came into it, but I think was ultimately a positive. Mm. I do write full-time now, but right up to and even after the release of Wake, I was still working in my previous role, and they were really amazing and supportive, but it just came to a place where I didn't mm. really think I could do both well, so yeah. something had to give. Well, there's that saying, you know, give um
0: give a job to a busy person and it's yes. more likely to be done, right? Okay. <laughs> and now that you might have more time on your hands, it takes longer. Okay. So talk to me about the process of wake. I thought it was interesting what you just said, that you knew that something was brewing, that, you know, you might have something, this might be a book. Because I often ask authors that and they kind of do and don't know that. Some do and some don't. And it's a bit like, you know, when you t- you see actors being interviewed about a movie and did you know that this is where it was going? And actors will say there was a good mood on the set or, you know, things flowed well or whatever. And I think that's, is it the same with writing? Is it that you knew, because you'd been writing for a long time, why was it that Wake was a moment where you thought, okay, this is it?
2: I think it's really easy to sit here now knowing that it was successful and say, oh, yeah, I knew the whole time. Like, you know, I always knew this was something special and it was going to be great. There were times where I was sure that it was going to end up in a drawer and I needed to move on to a different project and just, you know. And then there were other times where I was like, no, this is, you know, I've got something here. When I, like, the first draft of Wake I started writing on the 1st of January. So, you know, New Year's Day, nice clean start. And the first draft, I got to 30,000 words by the end of that month. Like it was just pouring out. And so something about the story just really grabbed me. And I felt almost a compulsion to get it out onto the page um, because it was frightening me. Like I was struggling to sleep during that month because of some of the the stuff that was going through my head and so it really helped to get it out onto the page and not have to think about that part anymore and yeah like just right from the beginning it it felt different
1: ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices
0: What was the
2: path to publication for Wake? So the path to publication for Wake, really what made a massive difference was um, the CWA Dagger, which is it's an award out of the UK for an unpublished manuscript and it's really highly regarded. So um, once I'd finished the the Marion's Hard Copy Programme, I didn't really feel ready to start sending it out to publishers. Like it was like, I I was really happy with it as a project. I wanted to keep working on it, but it really wasn't ready. But I found out about the CWA daggers and that seemed like something I could do just to push myself because, you know, there's a deadline, you have to have it in by this particular date. So if I've got that date in my calendar that I'm working to, then um, that really pushes me. And the same with the Kill Your Darling's Unpublished Manuscript Award, like part of my motivation was just knowing that it had a due date and so that I couldn't keep like kicking the can down the road of waiting for it to be perfect before I actually took any risks. And so um, I sent it off to these Unpublished Manuscript Awards, you know, these are really highly competitive awards. So Mm -hmm. I didn't really think it would like I didn't have high expectations. I was kind of hoping for maybe a long listing, something that I could put in my bio, which was pretty blank at the time. And then, you know, I did get the long listing and then the short listing. Then um, the awards ceremony happened, which was in the UK, which I didn't attend, which um, is a bit of a regret. But, um, yeah, I was at home getting ready for work and um, I was watching the ceremony on Twitter and then suddenly my picture was on the screen. And... (laughs) And that was really huge because, um, you know, there was a massive amount of interest. Um, Obviously a lot of Australian arts organisations were pretty excited that another Australian had won the award. And then it really felt like, yeah, this is a project that I really do have to take seriously now.
0: And at the time you didn't have an agent.
2: No, I didn't have an agent. So there was some interest from agents following the award The thing about the award is that it's really highly regarded and it will get a work moved to the top of an agent's reading list, but they're still not going to say yes if they don't feel it's ready. So like in a way it was more like the difference the award made during the agent querying process was I got my no in two weeks instead of three months. And so I went through a period of, I was querying and I'd had some interest from publishers following the award, but I still didn't feel like it was ready. Like I wanted it to be the book that I thought it could be, and it still wasn't quite there. And so I did go back and revised it a couple of more, couple more times through that year. And then I met my agent Sarah McKenzie through an Australian Society of Authors. They do what they call literary speed dating, where you get to pitch a bunch of different agents just you know three minutes. And I met her through that, and we really clicked. So I signed on with her and. From there, she sent it out to publishers and it was amazing how fast things happened after that. So she sent out a package to publishers. She said, all right, it'll probably be about three weeks before we hear anything. So, you know, I'll let you know. And the next day she came back to me and said, an editor wants to talk to you. And she was like, sort of like you said at the beginning, she was like, I really need you to understand that this doesn't happen. Like this is really unusual. Mm -hmm. So it was really out of the ordinary and nothing that I'd prepared for because mm-hmm. when you're an emerging author it's almost like um, a lot of people go to a lot of effort to make sure you understand that it doesn't happen like that like that's the that's the stuff of movies and so I wasn't really prepared for just how quickly and dramatically everything happened so we ended up with three publishers interested and it did go to auction And that meant that I got to speak to the editors from three different publishers, hear their vision for the book, really understand what the process would be like if I went with them, what they could offer, what they couldn't offer. And so I had to make a decision of what was the best home for the book. And that was really difficult because everybody was amazing. Mm. But I did end up going with Hachette and they've been really lovely to me. And, yeah, from there we edited it and again. And they did a great job with Wake. Amazing.
0: Amazing, yeah. And the work doesn't stop there. You're right. Then you have to edit mm. it again and keep going. Now this is a dilemma, and, and tell me what you think of this. I often, I often think this when I'm talking to authors. So you write your first book, you get it published, the pressure's on, right? Is it going to mm-hmm. sell? Isn't it? People going to like it. Aren't they? Whatever. Then you hit the jackpot with Wake. You do get quite a, a huge readership and lots of accolades, and that's fantastic and well-deserved. And then you have to go back and re-deliver, and that mm-hmm. I imagine is a tough gig, and that's Ripper. Now, it could be the other scenario, right? You put your debut fiction out there, right, your first book, and it doesn't go anywhere. It sells slowly. People like it, but it doesn't have the impact that that Wake did. And so then there's the pressure of your second book because it, you you would hope that it would do well. So what I'm saying to you, Shelley, is life <laughs> is not easy,
1: is it? No. Hard.
2: <laughs> no, there's no easy path. And, it, you know, there are some just absolutely amazing books out there that have had that happen, that they, they got out there and for whatever reason, it didn't find a readership. And it happened to a lot more than usual in 2020 because mm-hmm. debuts couldn't get out and do events and really get in front of readers. I think that it was a really good period for established authors. And so, yeah, I am just so hyper-conscious that um, I have been really lucky there's elements you can control, and there's elements you can't control, and both sides of that equation have lined up for me, and I just am very grateful for it. But did that then put the pressure on writing Ripper? Absolutely. It was such a a different experience writing Ripper to Wake because Wake could just be my baby. It was just my toy to play with, and I didn't go into it with any expectations. Whereas with Ripper, right from the blank page, I knew that it was under contract. That meant it had to be delivered by a certain date, which was a new kind of pressure. Like I had four years that I spent writing Wake and one for Ripper. And a part of it was better because I did know that it was destined for publication. So a lot of the time that went into Wake was just putting it down and leaving it for a while. Whereas Ripper, I was more consistently always working on it. But um, at the same time, there was a pressure of knowing that people definitely were going to read it, and that that was scary. But I also really consciously tried not to pay too much attention to reader responses to Wake and compare that to how that how they might respond to things I was doing in Ripper or expectations people had about what a second one might do, because Ripper is also it's it's standalone. It mm-hmm. does contain some of the characters from Wake again but ultimately it's what the, the intention is that you could read them in either order mm. so it's not necessarily something that I wrote with the goal of um, clearing up all of the loose ends from Wake or anything like that yeah so it was in some ways better in some ways harder mm. I want to know your thing.
0: approach now that you're not you're writing for more than an hour a day so mm in terms of equation, and you're the accountant here, but, you know, four (laughs) years to write Wake, but that's because you were, you know, it was less time. It was less hours, if you like, and more with Ripper. Talk to me about how you've settled in to being a full-time writer.
2: Yeah, certainly. So it was a bit of a bumpy start because, Going from working in an office, which, you know, I had my set hours and people who expected me to turn up at certain times and then going into full-time writing, I had to be the person who was expecting me to turn up at certain times and actually sit down and get it done. So there's a little bit of element of the more time I had available, you know, sometimes I got a bit less efficient because there wasn't that time crunch pressure, which um, does help me a little bit to feel under a little bit of pressure, but not too much. Hmm. So one thing that has really helped with that is that I have some really wonderful writer friends Mm. and sometimes we'll get together, we'll use a chat program called Discord and we'll all write at the same time and we'll set a timer and almost compete to see who can write the most words before the timer goes off. And so that's really helpful. But on an ordinary day, we've got a a lovely little bit of land and I've got a pod on it that I use as my office. And what's really great about the pod is that it doesn't have an internet connection. So if I go up there, there is really nothing I can do except write. So I sit down at my desk and sit in my beautiful surroundings and just get to work. And that's been really helpful. I have found that there is a bit of an upper limit, like with writing full-time isn't the same as like working full-time in an office. I don't think I can put in an eight-hour day of writing and I also have to balance it with other obligations, promotional stuff, travel, events, editorial meetings. It's not just purely sitting down with my cup of tea and my laptop and getting writing done but it has been really good being able to get into a rhythm of writing full-time and not balancing it with other work obligations. You
0: know, Trent Dalton talks about calling himself an author and at what point was he going to take off journalism and put on author on his email? Where are you at with that?
2: Yeah. So um, we moved about this time last year we moved. And so as a result of the move, we had to fill out paperwork. And one of the questions when we were enrolling our daughter at a new school was what do her parents do for a living? Like it's some kind of government funding thing of, um, you know, they need to know what sort of economic background the parents have. And so that was the first time that I really had to write down that I write for a living. Um, So that was a weird moment. And even during the period when I was both working and Wake was out, I was tending to say, Well, I, I'm an accountant first, because it feels a bit even still, it feels a little bit weird. But, you know, there is no other answer now because that is it is what I do full-time right now. I could see going back to that work at another point in the future, like you know, never say never, but it's certainly how we pay the mortgage. And so That was probably good that that form forced me to acknowledge that, yep, it is time to start saying I write for a living. I am a writer. And from that point on, you know, if I get asked, it's what I say. Well, you certainly are, Shelley. Thank
0: you so much (laughs) for your time today. I have really enjoyed our conversation.
2: Yeah, thank you.